I was at this like little local art show and this person was selling this little painting and had a monster on it. And I said, oh, what's the monster? And she said, this is the ghost of things left unsaid. And I was like, holy, it was like hmm. perfect timing. I bought the painting, put it up in my bedroom. And it's like this crazy ghost or whatever, <laughs> or monster thing. And it's up in our bedroom, still up to this day. And it's a reminder of the ghost of things left unsaid hmm. and, and the power of just communicating. The water's fine, homie, jump into the deep end, so it you will reap it. We're talking how to start it, how to grow it, how to keep it. Take a deep breath. You are now rocking with Founder Secret. Brian, welcome to our show. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Really excited about this. I've watched and listened to all of your episodes. Ah, he's our biggest fan. Biggest fan, absolutely. Brian was a part of the reason we, some of you noticed, we were in Jamaica a few weeks ago recording our podcast. And he had an amazing wedding. And we're here to talk about his journey as an entrepreneur, business, family, person, and a human being. I'd love to rewind the time back a bit. Where were you born? I was born in northern Minnesota. And where are your parents from? My mom is Filipino and my dad is Finnish, although he was born in the U.S. Were either of them entrepreneurs? So my dad ran his own insurance, single solo insurance brokerage under State Farm Insurance. So I think I think he liked working on his own and setting his own hours and stuff like that, but he wasn't like, I don't know what that counts as, but yes, I think so. My dad was also an entrepreneur and people were always like, oh, you're always gonna be an entrepreneur too. <laughs> and for most of my life, I was like, whatever, that's not true. Do you think that there's value to that? I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I think that looking back on it, I had a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies. My brother, who is probably smarter than me, just went straight engineering like my dad and is like very successful doing what he does and would probably never have any desire to go in an entrepreneurial way. So it, it definitely has some sort of personality thing. And so my dad was the dad of both of us. And so I, I don't know how much he had that influence was on me other than nature and nurture. At what point do you remember ever being interested in being an entrepreneur? Well, I always liked being in charge. And so <laughs> what do you I, mean? I always wanted to be in control of my own destiny and what I do and everything. And when I was really young, I was selling shoes, Mason shoes out of catalogs. And I, I started a, a grass cutting business where I had a, a buddy of mine that was doing most of the labor and I was doing the marketing and everything. I, I helped, but, and then even just, um, my dad had a saying, it's better to be on stage than in the audience. And so being the person that's orchestrating everything and running everything was always my, my personality as well. So yeah, I think that being in charge is what I like doing. And when you're an entrepreneur, you get to be in charge. What did you mean by that? Being on stage is better than being an audience. I think that whenever we went somewhere and they asked for a volunteer, like my family, me and my brother, my dad, where I was like, we'll do it. Because it's always more fun to be on the stage than like, why would you want to watch the people do the stuff, the fun stuff, when you could be up there doing it? We always, we always enjoyed that. And it has to do with even in class, raising your hand. And I don't know. It, it's the number, always, I want to remind you, the number one fear in the people have is public speaking. <laughs> and so I can definitely imagine why 99% of the people wouldn't <laughs> want to be on stage. So I just want to like... I, I'm not going to say definitely nervous and nerve-wracking and probably times. My teacher once told me, I'm, I'm 
going all over the place, so I apologize. But my teacher once told me that, boy, your son's got a problem. He always just raises his hand. Somebody doesn't even know the answer. He raises his hand. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm not going to tell him to stop raising his hand, even if he doesn't know the answer. Yeah, I think breaking through that nervousness and that fear is exciting and exhilarating. And I like doing that. How old were you when you did the shoes business with your friends? I was like 12. And just like every one of those types of businesses, the only person I sold to was like my friends and my family. Like, it was stupid. (laughs) How did you recruit another person at 12 years old to to do the work that that was the like the the handyman and grass cutting business and he was my best friend and i think he was just long for the the ride and the adventure as well and we had six clients or whatever that's awesome all right so then fast forward what was the third business the third business i think i don't know if i I didn't have like real businesses beyond that it just worked a whole bunch of different stuff i didn't i was never afraid to work I, I was a window washer or a lawn cutter i worked on a line crew i worked as a mover in new york city i i was a dishwasher in a chinese restaurant for a week i did a million different jobs my my wife always jokes that we're doing something and she'll be like oh how did you know it's like i used to do that for a living <laughs> yeah, like, there's all these like different stupid jobs that i did i never had a problem working i always had a desire to start a business and I just didn't know what to do or how to do it, I think. And so I was a civil engineer, I went to school for engineering, and then you get an internship and you just fall down the path. You get an internship, you go to a-, a Why'd you go job. with civil engineering? It sounds like you had this entrepreneurial mindset and being a public speaker. Right, I would right. imagine you like being into movies and, and uh. trying to be a theater. <laughs> how did you end up going with civil engineering? Well, you're from Northern Minnesota and your dad's an engineer and that's just what you do. I remember- telling the school counselor that I, I want to go out east for college and then being like, you sure you want to do that? It's all the way out there. Why would you want to go? <laughs> Why would you want to do that? And, and really dissuading me a, a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to my parents' credit, they're always like, "Go, you should do as, as much as, as, as big a thing as you can. And it, it, at that time, the, my, the only path I could envision was being an engineer, joining a company, becoming a partner, part owner, blah, blah, blah. And I did that. I, I was really good at what I did. I was like, I, you know, selfishly or trying not to brag. I think I was maybe the best engineer in the company and, and certainly was the best drafter before I was the best in, engineer. And even when I was really early in my career, I ended up being asked if I wanted to be a partner and I had a tiny little partnership. And then I saw behind the scenes about like how crappy the business was being run. And I actually went into the owner and I was like, oh, you got to change this. We're spending way too much money here. He was like spending money like he had a $50 million business and he really hmm. only had a $5 million business or something like that. And like made a stand. I'm, you got to change this right where I'm leaving because hmm. I thought it was the best. And he's like, I guess you'll see you. And I saw <laughs> I walked back to my office, start packing up my stuff. And people are like, what's going on? I was like, I quit. And I got another job in another place. This person said, oh, if you do great, I'm going to let you, we're going to, he was a startup basically. And I said, I'll let you become a, a partner. And so I, I did great. That first year we had basically the same, I grew the business to have basically the same amount of business he had brought in already. Did, had another great year. And then after the second, it was like, hey, what's going on? I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be a partner in this. And, and he's like, oh, we're not ready there. and just not ready for it. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> So then I worked in Philadelphia, kind of the same kind of thing. It was like, I was like 
assuming I had to climb that corporate path to ownership and or partner and then ownership and run own an engineering firm and I just wasn't able to figure out how to do that and I was reading these rich dad poor dad and four hour work week and all those classic entrepreneurial novels about becoming an, an entrepreneur and finally I was like well, I gotta I gotta do something else I think it was before really like people doing freelance stuff because this was in 2008 and stuff like that so what made you take the plunge i was i was looking on facebook and i saw a post from a cousin of mine in the philippines who's a civil engineer of a project he was working on a gas station and i was like holy crap that's a that's a great those are that's great work it looks like the exxon station i did in monmouth county new jersey and Hmm. i said hey if i get your work would you be interested in doing that and he said yes. I don't think he knew what he was getting into, but he said yes. And so I put up a website, and almost immediately I started getting work. And so I said, hey, you better hire people. And he hired people. And next thing you know, we had a business going. How did you get the first couple of clients? It was really just SEO and having really cheap prices <laughs> and, and competing against the Indian firms that were also cheap but couldn't communicate as well as I did and wasn't able to, you know, I guess, sell their services as well as I did. So your first clients didn't know you at all? They, they were just cold? From, wow, didn't that's impressive. Yeah. I went online. I saw that Indian firms are basically selling drafting at about $6 an hour, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do $7 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we started getting work pretty quickly. I had my regular job that I, so it, it was, it, I didn't make any personal income probably for the first year or so, but I was getting work for my cousin and then eventually the people he hired. And then we started getting some word of mouth and some bigger clients. And eventually this client out of central New Jersey said, Hey, I've got a thousand cell towers for you to do in across oh. From Ohio across to New Jersey, this was the T-Mobile expansion. Wow. And and I was like, there's no way I can do this while I'm working 50 hours a week as a civil engineer in Philadelphia. And I had to decide whether or not to quit the job and take on that, that, that project or not. <laughs> and I called up uh, a buddy of mine that, that I talked to for a lot of my, a lot of things. And he's like, if you believe in the company, you, this is your moment. You got to quit and you got to go for it. And so that's what I did. I went in and, and I told my boss, I was like, you know that side thing I'm doing? And he's like, yeah, he's, it's actually moving and I'm going to have to quit. And he's like, you gonna, can you give me it? And I was like, he's like, can you give me a month or something? And I was like, how about six days? Because so, they wanted to start this project a week from now. It's, I felt bad about that. But I just dove right into it and was going back and forth to the clients and growing the team and trying to get the quality up and really fighting through it. But it worked out. And telecom ended up being a really big niche and still is a really big niche for a cat. Wasn't there a hack where you would find people's email addresses that are starting a new building? Was that were you, were you guys do that or not? What, we had a hack going for quite a while where... We, would, we had a robot that was scanning Craigslist, and anyone that posted on Craigslist that they were looking to hire a, a CAD drafter, we would shoot them an email like, hey, we've got CAD drafters for you. Do you want to, can we, can we help you out? It turned out like those were terrible leads because <laughs> <laughs> it's somebody that wants to drop a deck or it's somebody that wow. just wants to hire somebody for this little project or it's, or I think Craigslist has gotten worse in reputation now, or at least it's forgotten about now, but it, at even, even at that time, I think people weren't, if you wanted to hire like legit big work, you weren't really the going on Craigslist. And so it, 
it took us a while to figure it out, but it, there were pretty bad leads. And then Craigslist caught and caught on to the robot that we were mm-hmm. doing, so it wasn't working anymore. And it broke finally, and we moved on to something else. I, I've tried everything as far as marketing. You do everything for a little bit, and it works for a little bit, and then it peters out, and then you quit it, and you try it, you try something else. Love it. Th- that business evolved, you grew it, and then you eventually started another one. Right. Yeah. In about 2018. So I started CAD sourcing in 2011 and going growing, but getting kind of a, a plateau. And I had to have kind of a, a reflection about like, where is this business going? What and What is the possibilities here? And what are the challenges that I have? And I realized that there, there had to be some sort of pivot here, something mm-hmm. that, that I had to do. And I thought about it and I realized that the 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 executive team and the back-end support that I had built in the Philippines to manage a 50-60 person engineering outsourcing business was just as valuable as the engineers that I had. And mm-hmm. I started this time talking to my network about like people, hey, I could maybe head up, help set up an office. And this one person came to me and said, yeah, I'd to set up an office in the Philippines. And so we did all, did and continue to do all the recruiting and the HR, the payroll and the IT and legal support to put together these offices, a wide variety of clients now, not just engineering and architecture. And that's really exploded as, as COVID has happened and, and the, this quiet quitting, if that, even if that's a real thing or not, I don't know. But just the difficulties of hiring people in the U.S. and salaries going up and, and inflation and really the strength of the dollar, all that global stuff has created headwinds for my business, Tatcha, that does staff leasing for U.S. clients in the Philippines. It's really the area of growth that I'm really excited about in the future. What are some misnomers or misconceptions that people have about staffing, let's say, outside the U.S. and specifically in the Philippines? I think that they're the obvious, subtly racist misnomers about quality and culture and how employers, how employees work and communicate are all still very true or it, are still very valid and present. But people are really starting to understand that there's a reason why Apple builds all their phones in China and beyond that, why these big four accounting firms have all offices all over the world and why these huge tech companies have all, all these offices all over the world is because you can get great talent globally to work on in your companies. And as people get more and more comfortable with remote workforce and global talent, the skill levels of these people in other countries are becoming more apparent. And it's the comfort level of Americans working with a global workforce that is changing. The global workforce has always been there. The comfort level of, the, of Americans working with them is changing. As a result, we're seeing a lot more demand for our services and, frankly, seeing a lot more competition prop up as all these people are like, holy cow, there's great talent in the Philippines. Let's start up a company connecting those people to the U.S. But I've been doing outsourcing out of the Philippines since 2010, so I welcome the competition because it uh, hopefully means that there's an uh, opportunity there. So do you think that will continue? I was just... Uh, reading that even Snapchat brought their employees back this week for four days a week or so. And it almost seems right now like we're having a knee-jerk reaction. Pendulum's going back, yeah. Right. To be clear, I'm a huge fan of working in the office. All of my team works in the office. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a huge believer that you can be innovative and grow quickly and have the collaboration and the, the team mindset with a fully remote team. I just don't think it's possible. 
And so the question is, where can you build that team in an office that's going to have all of those kind of like unknown pluses that you can't quantify? Where are you going to be able to build that team? And are you going to want to try and build that team in San Francisco or New York or maybe in Cebu, uh, Cebu, Philippines? And so the question then is, what's the talent that you're going to be able to find? And what's the cost of that talent? And what's the cost of overhead and the, the office space? And if you're looking at a play, at an even playing field for those types of situations, there's a lot of instances, I think, where putting a team in the Philippines or a number of other places gets to be a difficult decision. And I think and a lot of times the Philippines will be the right choice. And there's certain professions, like I know one of some of the largest, most profitable businesses in healthcare are nurses placed from the Philippines, although often they actually bring them over to the U.S. Mm. in a hospital in Tennessee sure, and, and charge, you know, uh, 150K a year and pay the person 30K a year, some right. crazy right. margins. Are there some professions that you think work well for what you just described? Yeah. Quick aside on Filipinos, the nursing, the, the, everyone knows like half, seemingly half the Filipinos or half the nurses in an hospital are Filipinos. But if you watch on all these hospital shows on TV, you never see a Filipino nurse. So I don't know what's <laughs> Why going on. Why is that? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> well, acting must not be one of the professions. <laughs> I don't know. But I, anyways, yeah, I think that there's certainly some professions that either just the way the profession has grown or the industry or the way the workflow is done, that having them do be remote and individual people makes perfect sense and that that's just the way it may continue to flow but then if you have a team where they need to actually collaborate and communicate and can enjoy the benefits of having morning huddle and looking over the shoulder of, of the employee or even very close-knit training between a manager and a junior employee all of those situations are likely going to be better off done in an office and then a lot of times that office is better off located in, in the Philippines. So you don't think there are certain professions. Do you think software engineering is one where the Philippines has untapped potential? I, I think that there's certain leading edge technologies in software development. And you know, I'm not a software developer, so, you know, I, I don't know. Bells and whistles. <laughs> I have no idea what they do. But uh, there's certain instances where they're really leading the charge in the industry. And, and Maybe the cream of the crop is here in the U.S., and who am I to argue with that? But probably if you go down from that top 1%, from 2% down to 0 or whatever, 100, whatever scale we're using, there's probably plenty of people, not only in the Philippines, but also in India and other countries that can compete very significantly with you. How, how do you manage? You run two businesses, you have children, you have a new wife. How, how do you manage all this and across multiple time zones, right? A lot of the, a lot of the Philippine team is not. Do they work East Coast hours? They, but that's a separate question. Really, sure. the question is, how do you personally manage sure. uh, that? I've been very lucky to build an amazing team. In the Philippines, I've got a general manager that was leading teams for Merck and GlaxoSmithKline and other pharmaceutical companies in the Philippines. I have a controller that was high up in the accounting departments of San Miguel Foods, the largest corporation in the Philippines. I have other executives that have worked in executive roles for very prominent companies in the Philippines or U.S. corporations that have offices in the Philippines. And so I, I, I'm lucky to have built a team, or I was, my, my plan was to build a team that, that was smarter than me in their individual roles. And a lot of what I do is make the 50-50 decisions on which way we're going to head with, for the company. 
But the day-to-day stuff, I really let my team handle that. And I think that they can probably make better decisions than I can on a daily basis on that kind of stuff. But the big decisions on which direction the company's going, those are the things that, that I have to do for the benefit of the company, seeing the whole company as a whole, as opposed to maybe just what the accounting department's concerned about or the IT department's concerned about or anything. My team works very much a flex schedule. So, you know, I... I'm working a New York hours schedule for the most part, and we coordinate so that our weekly meetings, they're convenient for me, fortunately. But it, it's... One of those I'm, benefits of being in charge. It's benefits of those, being on the stage. I, I, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. I like setting the rules. but And also but breaking the rules. They're my rules to break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a few more questions. One is you always seem like a very happy person, like happier than the average. So I'm wondering... Why is that? How, and how are you happy? I've never seen you not at 11. Yeah, I think, first of all, I'm a very lucky guy. I'm just, fates are always working in my favor. And I think that I've recognized that luck. And so, like, how can I not be happy? And I'm surrounded by amazing people, a wife that's amazing, kids that are amazing. There's certainly things that stress me at times. But when I've learned what is the downside of these individual situations and problems. I know that my family and those close to me are still going to be there. And I'm really energized by just living. Life is great. We should all enjoy it. I've got a really good buddy that says, life's great. Just let it be. Just let it be great. And so many people get in the way of life being great. Like they, de- You're in charge of your own life. You decide if you're happy or not. You decide if you're at 11 or if you're at a 4. <laughs> and I choose an 11. So are there any particular habits or things you do to remind you of that? I try to be, I try to recognize all the good stuff that happens to me. And um, my wife will tell you that I'm constantly saying, isn't this amazing? Hmm. Even if you're in a restaurant, isn't this just the best? Look at this. (laughs) Or like a sunset. I love sunsets. I'm always like, look at this sunset. Just gorgeous. Look at it. And she probably like, yeah, it's another sunset. But I don't know. we were in, in Hawaii for a wedding a few weeks ago. And I was like, every day was a rainbow. I was like, holy crap, there's another rainbow over there. Look at that. There's, there's rainbows all the time in Hawaii. It's a beautiful place. The, what would you say are your personal core values? Really, I think my core values have, I'd like to think, Evolved, yes, but more have matured, maybe is the right word. But I really try to be very honest with people. I think that honesty is so important so that people know where you stand. And if we can be honest with each other, then great. That's awesome. And so I try to be honest with everyone. Communication, I really try and communicate well with people. I try to help others as much as I can. And I gain so much joy from helping others. I I started the company... Truly, if, we, if I had started the company and all I did was get projects for my cousins, some family members, and they were able to reap some benefits from that and have a better life in the Philippines, I would have considered that a success. I, I grew up seeing my mom send $100 a month to the Philippines to help them with a college education and stuff like that. I truly started the company just trying to help them, and then it turned into helping the families of the employees we have, and now we have... 350 families or 350 employees that work work with us and I take such pride in 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 the help that we're providing 
the families. And so I think helping others is really good for the soul and good for you. So I try to have that as a core value. And yeah, I think those have solidified as things that I try to think about. You mentioned communication being one of them. What does that mean to you, being a good communicator? Hopefully Dolores never listens to this, or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a while back, we've, we've been together now for seven years, and early on, or relatively early on, maybe not there, I don't know, a few years in, we were having a fight. And just like a lot of fights, it, it broke down to communication, and we weren't communicating. And what, I was at this like little local art show, and this person was selling this little painting and had a monster on it. And I said, oh, what's the monster? And she said, this is the ghost of things left unsaid. And I was like, holy. It was like hmm. perfect timing. I bought the painting, put it up in my bedroom. And it's like this crazy ghost or whatever, <laughs> monster thing. And it's up in our bedroom, still up to this day. And it, it's a reminder of the ghost of things left unsaid. And, and the power of just communicating and communicating honestly but communicating with others, not with your spouse, but your kids and really your employees and your clients and just how that is a superpower that a lot of people don't lean into. The ability to communicate in an honest way with empathy, I think is a superpower that people are really in this age of communication and all this information out there. Some people are not communicating honestly and with empathy. And I think that's a superpower that people don't lean into. Interesting. If I can push back a little bit against that, I'm wondering, especially in an argument or in a passion, I was reading something about how you can't unsay certain things and that communicating in those situations actually Mm -hmm. is a bad idea. Maybe it needs a break. (laughs) I'm just wondering, how do you you win? I think that, so I can only say things from my own perspective. one thing I've learned, or one thing I learned about, and this is a long time ago, so I, and I don't remember where it came from. It was like, whenever you're having a fight or an argument, if we're talking about spouses specifically, it's like, I always start with, I love you, and lay out the good stuff, and then like, talk about the, the, the whole, what is that sandwich thing? Yeah. And, but I think there's something true to that. And it has to do with like maybe slowing down and the heat of the argument, saying some, I could have never imagined myself saying in the heat of an argument, oh, you're the worst, or you, you, you do this terrible, or whatever. And lying. A lot mm. of times those are lies. Right. Like you're trying to up the scale, or you're trying to bring them down, or whatever. That's not communicating in an honest and empathetic way. It's not about blurting out everything. It's about trying to communicate with empathy and understanding at the same time. Got it. (laughs) Any other questions? Yeah. What, um, maybe not what are you surprised by, but if you were starting a business, let's rewind, pretend 15 years ago, you were starting a new business. You had no connections. You had, you were the, you at the beginning, right? right? You didn't have a network. You didn't have any of that. But what you did have access to was the resources of today in the Philippines. So you had access to this ability to the the talent and kind of the knowledge that you have today around that talent and that maybe that untapped potential there. What is a business that you would start today using maybe some of those resources you have in the Philippines? I think that one thing I've leaned in on is my relationship with the Philippines and my family first and foremost in the Philippines, but just my relationship in the Philippines. And now that we go back and forth all the time, I'm building a house in the Philippines. My understanding of the people and culture in the Philippines gives me an advantage in in the business world when dealing with the U.S. US market. And so leaning into opportunities where I have that advantage is I should be doing that. I shouldn't be trying to play Bitcoin or whatever, like where I have no idea what's going on. I don't know who knows what's doing anything. But 
so I don't, I'm trying to think of an answer. I don't have a specific instance, but there's lots of opportunities where you see something that's trying to be done in the U.S. and you're like, if I did that in the Philippines and I was able to, to ramp up the volume of people who are doing it, ramp up the quality of the way it's being done because I'm going to have it done. Instead of one person working 60 hours a week and I'm going to have two people working 40 hours a week and now we're going to spend an extra 10 hours on quality control because we can do all that stuff. And I can do it in a better, faster, more efficient manner in the Philippines. Is there margin then that I can then uh, succeed in a business with? And I think there's a lot of things that's possible. And as the market changes or the culture changes around what's possible to be done in the Philippines and what's possible to be done with computers and AI potentially and the metaverse, who knows, What's potentially can be done in the Philippines, I say the Philippines because that's what I'm most comfortable with globally, is going to have a, an inherent advantage that there's a potential for a business there. Only I saw a thing where there's these fast food restaurants or quick marks or something like that, that were, they were having the cashier person, I think it was in the Philippines, <laughs> but mm-hmm. maybe it was India. And they were, the, you would walk up, the screen would pop up and be like, hey, and the person would talk to you and take your order and it'd go in the back and they were friendly and knew all the questions and knew the menu and everything else. And who knows whether or not that'll succeed. I think that there's a, a decent chance that that could succeed, but there's a million different things I think like that. where you are like, could this be done in the Philippines and could it be done better, more efficiently for high, at higher quality at a lower cost? And, and if you can answer that question with a yes, you, you might have a business there. So there was a really good NPR episode about, or maybe it was planet money where they went to Canada. Yeah, Yeah. maybe I saw it because you posted it. (laughs) But I listened to it, and it was very interesting. And they talked with the cashier or the the person on the other side. And and in Canada, where that particular story, I think it was in Toronto, took place, there's been some pushback, right, from people who live there who used to have those $18 an hour jobs and now don't. And how do you feel as comfortable as you are in answering that or as far as you want to go with that? What would you tell that person that used to have that job that now is in the Philippines? Well, I think the globe evolves, right? And so there were, was a time when an, an older generation went to, went, to the, went to do all these blue-collar factory jobs and stuff like that. And at some point, the American public said, hey, you know what? We'd rather have not spend all this money that we're spending on this stuff. We want it done in China, and we want, it done, we want that, that product for less. And the society decided that, and the economy of the U.S. shifted from from that to what we have now, which is very much a service economy, unless instead of a, a manufacturing economy in many ways. And the there's certainly, are, anytime there's a global shift or a, even a, a countrywide shift, there's some winners and some losers, but generally speaking, there's been a lot more winners than losers. And I think we're in the middle of a shift again, as certain service industry jobs that we felt like could only be done here locally in the U.S., are now going to end up being going done globally. And so there's going to be a shift that's happening, and it's happening rapidly. It's really happening really fast right now. And 
it's going to shake out that certain service sector jobs that were done here in the U.S. are now going to be done globally. And it's going to be done because the public demands better service. They demand lower prices. They demand the public demands it. The public dr drives all this. Nobody's making anyone do anything just like that, that, that store in, in Toronto. The public will demand it just like they demanded cheaper products. They're going to want cheaper services. They want hopefully better services. Right now, originally there was complaints about the products that were created were made in Japan and China and, and elsewhere. And now, I think a lot of people would say that the quality of the products, the iPhones that come out of China are better than anything that could be built else for whatever warts and reasons around that. I think so manufacturing, they figured out, right? And I would never want to do a manufacturing facility in the Philippines because they know how to do it over, over in China. They know how to do that. But I think we can do a service, a service industry in the Philippines. And I think we can do an amazing job at that. And we'll see where it goes. We'll see. Last question from me is, do you think being a father makes you more efficient? Being yes. <laughs> like in your yes. business and in general. Yeah, absolutely. How? Absolutely. All of a sudden you, you take four, five, six hours out of the day and you say, we're dedicating that to another human being that wasn't around before. And you got to figure out how to do the other stuff in that time that's left. And so you end up maybe cutting out. I used to be a huge football fan. I don't watch much football at all. You certainly cut, you cut other things out. You just become more efficient on what you got to do there. And you only have so many hours in the day. And I think that in becoming more efficient with your time, you're then you're tightening up even the smaller things that you do to try and be more efficient with that. So. It, it's out of necessity. When you're young, you know this, you have a kid now. When you're young, you got all kinds of time. You could fart around all week and you still get your work done. Well, this is what I'm wondering because it seems yeah. like you're still living that life while still having a family and two businesses. <laughs> so I guess what I'm trying to get at is how do you divide yours where you're able to go on these trips but also manage these businesses, but then also, I think more importantly, feel that the, mm -hmm. the family people have time with you and that you don't feel guilty about not being there. How do you do it? Yeah, we make, me and my wife and the kids, we make decisions that really are leveraged towards trying to do the best that we can with the time that we have every moment of the day. And that doesn't mean that we're, we always have to be like doing a party or whatever. It might just be, hey, we're watching a movie together, but trying to be present, that's the best thing we want to do at that time. But there's, a, there's I think there's a lot of people that, hey, three weeks from now, we got an open weekend. What are we going to do? And if you don't think about it, you don't do anything, and all of a sudden the weekend comes and you're like, well, I got nothing to do, I don't know, we're going to, whatever, I don't know. But if you're like, three weeks from now, we got nothing to do, you know what, let's go down to Miami for the weekend or something like that. You can make it happen, it just it takes a little bit of planning. These things just don't happen. As, as I tell my, my wife all the time, and she jokingly tells me back, just like, these things just don't happen. It, it, it takes a little bit of planning. Luckily, I have a, a personal team in the Philippines that, that helps me with my calendar and, and travel and travel takes a lot of effort and stuff like that. And making sure that my calendar is blocked out in a way that, that is most efficient, but not packed so that you're feeling stressed about things and spreading things out accordingly. And I think that way I'm able to glean the most out of life, which is what I'm trying to do. Well, Love it. on that note, thank you for making the time to come on our show. This is the greatest thing I could have been possibly doing <laughs> right now. I love uh, it. <laughs> thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for rocking with the homies. Taylor Trusty and Flavio. Seize the day on it. Until next time.
Hold it down, hold it down. 